For those of you that I didn't, haven't gotten a chance to meet yet, my name is Derek, and I am the director here of Chi Alpha. I think I've got the coolest job in the world. Missed you all so much, but it's good to be back. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles tonight, we're going to be reading out of John chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Tonight we're going to be continuing our series, Right to Live Missions. We've spent this whole semester looking at this idea that we have certain rights as followers of Jesus. We're going to spend these next few weeks looking at our rights to live missions. If you remember from Fall Retreat, our Chi Alpha missions motto is we live missions. And none of us knew it. So I got hurt from our national training director. He's like, who can say it? And then none of us knew it. So that's on me. That's on me. But now we're going to know it next time, right? So my boss, when he asks us what's the Chi Alpha missions motto, it's what again? That's good. That's good. We live missions. And we've got this right to continue to live missions, to live for other people, to live a life that is bigger than just ourselves. And the climax of this series is really going to be next week as we have our first ever missions week. Next week is going to be incredible. We're launching our mission trips. So we're going to tell you all four of them that we have next week. And it's going to be incredible as God starts to stir our hearts for the nations. Please start that week off by coming next Monday to that meal with a missionary and come with questions. So she's a missionary who has been in the Middle East and has had her life radically changed by the grace of God. So please come and come with some questions to ask her so it's not just me asking questions. So if you have any questions about what it looks like to be a missionary or just about her time there or any stories, please come with those prepared because there will be a lot of Q&A. Cool? Tonight we're going to be reading John chapter 1, verses 35 through 46. And in this passage, we're getting one of our first glimpses of Jesus. Before that, though, John the Baptist, who was a guy who came before Jesus, he had done some ministry work. John had gathered a following, but the whole time when he was doing this ministry, he was teaching. He was saying, hey, guys, I'm not actually the important one. He's saying, there's someone who's way more important who's going to come after me. I promise you this Messiah or chosen one is coming, and he's going to be way better than me. Basically, John's followers are on this hunt to find the Messiah. And in our passage tonight... They get to find him. John chapter 1 says this. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you move tonight, and I pray that you stir our hearts to live a life of missions. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. There has been this question on my mind for years that I've been trying to get an answer to. The question is, what is Kylie Jenner's talent? Like, why is she famous? I know her mother's first husband was the trial lawyer for O.J. Simpson. And the only reason I know that is because he was played in a Netflix documentary by David Schwimmer from Friends, and Taylor watched it and loved it. But how does that relate to, like, his wife's next husband's child becoming famous? So then I did what most people would do, and I did a quick search on Google. And the first thing that popped up, when I said, what is Kylie Jenner's talent? It said her greatest talent is the ability to post stuff on Twitter and Instagram. And I thought to myself, well, I can do that. 
I do it every year. Once a year, I have once a year post. It's on Taylor, my wife's birthday. It's my once a year Instagram post. Be on the lookout. Her birthday's coming up soon. It's going to be exciting as I post a few pictures from the past year, say something sappy that I think of before I go to bed, and click send. It's going to change your world, I promise you. So like, I could be famous. But see, Kylie Jenner, she's an influencer, right? That's her title. Her main job in life is to influence and change the people around her in order to supposedly enhance their life. In actuality, her probably main goal is to like enlarge her bank account, but that's besides the point. Let's be the positive people today because being an influencer is all the rage in our society. I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and I have a couple of nieces who are around seven, and they want to act like they're YouTube stars. They will like, hey, what's up, you guys? Welcome back to my YouTube channel. And like, what's up? And like, they're like seven. I'm like, what are you doing? And they're taking this video on their phone, not their phone, their parents' phone because they're well seven, and that no one's ever going to watch, including their parents. They will not watch it because it's weird right? There's even people on YouTube. Oh, this makes me feel weird. These people on YouTube who make videos of baby dolls, like talking to each other. It's like with baby dolls. And they do that. And the only reason I know that is because I have a niece, Jane, who watches them. It's not like I watch that for kicks and giggles, right? But when my niece, Jane, watches the creepy guy with like, who's trying to have a high-pitched voice, hey, welcome to Babyville. And they're like doing this. She's like, I want that baby. And she gets angry. They're influencing my niece Jane, it's freaking creepy. I hate those videos, okay? So if that's you in here, repent. Go talk to Victor afterwards, confess your sin, and we'll see if we can get some forgiveness for you. Anyways, see, we live in this world where we have a desire to influence the people around us. A quick swipe on the Instagram Discover tab will make that fact clear, right? Sometimes we do this for profit. Other times we do it just because we think we're right and we want someone to agree with us. Sometimes we do it for attention, this is why we see fight after fight on social media, specifically Facebook, about politics, sports, restaurants, you name it, people are willing to argue about it. I'm not much of a social media guy, as evident by my once-a-year post, but I will happily argue with people in person about the fact that LeBron James is not only the greatest basketball player to ever walk the planet, but the greatest athlete to ever walk the planet. Or the fact that Raising Cane's is far superior to Chick-fil-A. Oh. Guess what? Remember that Chick-fil-A party at the end of the year? I spend more money at Chick-fil-A than all of you combined, so it's okay. I'm giving them their well-due. But anyways, for some reason, I desperately want people around me to see the lights. I want them to know the glory that is cane sauce. Tastes so much. Yeah, amen. Give me an amen, pasta. Anyways. <laughs> see, we have this longing inside of us to recruit people to our sides. We want to change the people around us. Sometimes this can be harmless, just like the examples I just gave, but other times, this can be very dangerous. Listen to this. I want you to think about something. Think back to the 1930s and 40s when Adolf Hitler rose to power. See, he had this vision for his country. He had a vision built on the belief that Jewish people were to blame for all of Germany's problems and that by ridding the world of Jewish people, he could make Germany and the world a better place. That was his conviction and his desire. And he had a desire for the whole world to be on his side. And because of that, he started the bloodiest war in history. See, Hitler's desire to influence the world led to an estimated 56.4 million people losing their lives. So the real question for tonight is why? Why do we have such a deep longing to change people? Why do we want to recruit people to our team? And is this concept bad? Is it wrong to want to change the people around us? So the question we'll ask is why do we have such a deep longing to change people around us? And I think there's many answers to this question. I think the very basic answer is we don't like to be alone as humans. There's strength in numbers, and when there's more people on our side, we feel more secure, and we just feel better. We feel more confident. But I think there's actually a deeper and a more selfless answer, I hope. I think we want to change people 
because we actually care about them. See, we truly believe that if they start to think, act, or eat the way that we do, their life will actually become better. For example, I was with a group of people the other day, and I was telling them that Taylor Swift's new album is a certified banger. Oh, come on, Midnight's. Lavender haze will change your life. Keep in mind that the group of people I was talking to was like college guys that never listened to Taylor Swift. For example, one of them was Jordan Upmeyer. Where are you at, Jordan? Please stand up. Up. He does not look like a Swifty to me, in my opinion. <laughs> you can sit down. See, but I knew. I knew that if I got these people to listen to this song, it would change their lives. So I grabbed my portable speaker, start playing. Meet me at midnight. Oh, oh. And then I'm, I'm vibing with it. We're having a good time. And as that song, as the track's going, I see their eyes light up. I see Sam Childress say, wow, this song like belongs in a Nike outlet mall. <laughs> and I knew in that moment, I got them. Their lives were way better. Because that's, oh, I listen to that song every day. It gets me excited to be awake in the morning. So this leads to this question, was that wrong of me to make Sam and Jordan and those guys' lives so much better by listening to Lavender Haze? Is it bad to try and change people? I think it depends. I think it depends upon our motivation and then what will happen or the outcome afterwards. It was very wrong for Hitler to force his views upon people, right? The reason being his end game was he wanted to uplift himself and he wanted more power and the outcome was destruction and death. But that's not always the case. If we look back to our text in John 1, 40 through 42, we read about Andrew trying to change his brother Peter. It says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. This word Cephas can also be translated to the word rock. See, Jesus, when he meets Peter, he gives him a new identity. He gives him an identity as a rock, a foundation of the church. Peter goes from being a poor fisherman with no hope in life to becoming the rock of the largest movement of people in history. We're talking about Peter 2,000 years later. So was it okay that Andrew tried to interrupt his brother's mundane, meaningless life and inject it with the love and purposes of King Jesus? I think so. Because the outcome for Peter, was not death and destruction, but it was life now and life eternal. Andrew helped Peter. So it goes back to motivation. For Hitler, his end game was his own salvation. For Jesus, his end game is our salvation. See, Hitler wanted to be lifted up while Jesus was dragged down to death for us. Jesus gave it all for us and knew that his way was the only way. So Jesus trying to change us is what is best for us. Which leads to the same being true for us today. Because of how good and pure and loving the person of Jesus is, because of the outcome and the motivation, anything but trying to bring people to the feet of Jesus would be terribly unloving. The loving thing to do is to interrupt the people around us as status quo and try to inject Jesus into their lives. See, just like Andrew, when we meet Jesus, when we see his goodness and how much better and more, much more hopeful life is when we meet God, we should be driven to bring our friends to Jesus. If you love Jesus, you think he's best. You think that he's the hope of the world. And you think that only through relationship with Jesus will you find life. And so if you think this, and if you truly believe that he is God, and if you truly love the people around you, even though it might be uncomfortable for us to talk to our friends about Jesus, if we love them, we will do it because we know it's what's best for them. 
See, we think tolerance is love, but this is far from the truth. Love is not you do you, I'll do me. Love is defined in 1 John 3.16. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, true love is not watching our friends wallow around. True love is doing whatever it takes to see our friends come to find hope in Jesus. And this is the essence of living missions. Our mission as Jesus followers is described to us in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. In this story, Jesus is getting ready to depart from the earth after he has died and rose again. And he gives his followers one more mission. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Our mission is to make disciples. A disciple is just like an apprentice or a little Jesus. We are to help people look more like Jesus. And the first step of this is finding them. We can't help them look more like Jesus if we never get to know them, right? We are to find people and bring them to Jesus just like Andrew did with Peter. So if we understand that if we follow Jesus, that the most loving thing we can do is to tell other people about him. If we understand that, that should change things, right? Because we know that Jesus is love. However, even though we know this in our heads, sometimes it can be hard to live this out in our lifestyles. I think many of us have great intentions in here. I think if you're a Jesus follower, many of you want your friends to know Jesus. You know he's best. But when the moment comes to have that Jesus-centered conversation, I think sometimes we shrink back and we fail to bring up Jesus. As we learned in our last series, Right to More, we firmly believe that Jesus can speak to us through Holy Spirit. There's a day I was in the WRC, the rec center here on campus, and I was shooting hoops by myself, having a great time, time with my headphones in, and another guy walked in, which is, I'm like, dang it, why is there someone else in here? And as he walked in, I felt so strongly, more strongly than I ever had before, that Holy Spirit was telling me, Derek, I need you to go talk to him about me. I felt Jesus tell me, I need you to go invite him to Chi Alpha, and I need you to talk to him about me. That person is going to change the world, and I need you to be my conduit. So then I started debating with Jesus. I'm like, all right, Jesus, I'm real introverted. And I'm actually pretty shy, so I was pretty terrified. So I start saying things like, all right, Jesus, if I make this three, then I will go talk to him. And I was like thinking mathematically. I'm like, I'm not very good at basketball. I was really bad then. I was slightly better now, not that much better. And I'm like, there's no chance. And then I'm like, come on, how did that go in? I made my first three. But see, I was still debating with Jesus. I'm like, let's do double or nothing, Jesus. And I just kept going until eventually I missed. I'm like, oof, I'm off the hook. I don't need to go talk to him. Side note, this is not the way Jesus speaks to us. Jesus is not going to, like, guide my crappy shot into the basket just to get me to go talk to someone. That's not going to work. So if you're like, Jesus, if I roll this dice and I get a six, then I'll finally read my Bible. That's just, that ain't it, chief, okay? That's not how it works. I think sometimes we like to reason with ourselves and think we misheard from Holy Spirit. And that's possible. We can mishear from God. None of us are perfect. But I promise you that if you feel God or, like, Holy Spirit telling you to go talk to someone about Jesus, I promise you you cannot make a mistake by talking to them about Jesus. Even if you misheard, I promise you you didn't mishear when Jesus says, hey, go talk to people about me. Because there's no bad consequences from that. It is never bad to talk to people about Jesus or to pray with people. The worst case scenario is you talk to them and they're not interested. But the worst case scenario if we don't talk to them is their eternity's on the line. We risk disobeying the voice of God. We risk changing someone's life and giving them future and a hope. And see, the reason I know that's the worst case is because that's the option I took. 
I never talked to that guy about Jesus. That was six years ago, and I still think about it pretty much every week. I knew in my head and in my heart that it was the most loving thing to do. See, I knew that if this guy didn't know Jesus, and if I presented or brought him to Jesus, that his life would get dramatically better. But I shied away. I didn't do it. Someone who wanted to become a pastor, who was leading a small group in Chi Alpha. So why? Well, the truth of it is I was really scared. And see, the fear inside of me was greater than my desire to obey Jesus. This is because the motivation behind my desire to please God was not a strong one. I'll be honest with you guys. I was motivated in that moment by obligation. See, I didn't have a heart for this random guy. I also, in the time, wasn't like madly in love with Jesus, spending time with him all the time. The only reason I felt like I should talk to this guy was because I felt like I had to, and I thought Jesus would be mad at me if I didn't. And that's not a strong motivation. Obligation will never motivate us to do something that is deeply painful. If our motivation in life is obligation, we will try to use willpower to do what is right. But willpower is not very strong. We need something a little bit more force. We need God's power. God's power does not come from feeling obligated. God's power comes from being inspired. If we are motivated by inspiration from God, no one's going to have to tell us what to do. We will be so inspired by the love of God that we won't be able to help but obey him. And that's what it looks like to live on mission. So how do we move from obligation to inspiration? Well, we need to go back to John 1. What moved the disciples to stop following John and to start following Jesus? What inspired them to bring their friends to Jesus? The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked as Jesus walked by and he said, Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. Remember, the Bible was written in Greek And the Greek word for our English word, behold, is ide. Ide means be sure to see. Do not miss this. Look with an exclamation point. Look, do not miss the Lamb of God. John was saying, hey guys, this is a really big deal. Because they beheld, or because they looked intently at Jesus, they brought their friends to Jesus. See, Jesus did not tell them, hey, go grab your friends, I'm lonely. We're like, I need more disciples. I got to get 12 because for some reason 12 is a cool number. So we, and my quote is a little bit down. He didn't say, hey, disciples, my ego's on the line here. If our small group doesn't grow, it's going to look like I'm a bad leader. So please go invite someone. No, Jesus does not guilt his followers into living on mission. Jesus never places obligation upon his disciples to go and bring people. He doesn't try to strong arm them. All that happens is his disciples respond to looking at him and they are inspired to go and grab their friends too. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. The key to living on mission is not willpower. The key to living missions is not obligation. The key is to behold the Lamb. So if you're struggling to talk to people about Jesus, if you're struggling to invite people to small group or here on Tuesday nights or to meet your classmates or to have Jesus-centered conversations, gritting your teeth and bearing it and like, I'm going to do it today, probably won't accomplish much. The only way to truly live mission is not to feel more guilty, it's to fall more in love with Jesus. Because that will lead to inspiration over obligation. So the key to living missions is to behold the Lamb, to look at Jesus. That means we need to get to know Jesus better. You need to see how much Jesus loves you no matter what you've done, that no matter how far you feel like you've ran away from God, he loves you so much. 
to see that Jesus has a plan not only for your life, but Jesus has a plan for the lives of the people around you. To see that there is grace that Jesus offers you. To see the forgiveness of your sins. To see that the grace and forgiveness that Jesus offered you, he also very, very badly wants to offer to the people in your life. See, Jesus does not want people to die and go spend eternity away from him. Jesus actually has a heart and a love for everyone around us, and he wants them to come spend eternity with him. He wants to offer grace to the people around us. He wants to offer that feeling that you get during worship when you're in the presence of God. He wants your friends to have that feeling too. See, the more I listen to Lavender Haze, the more I want all of you to listen to it. I so badly wanted to add it to our playlist before service, but it swears. Even the clean version says the D word, and I thought that might look bad if I do that. But the more I listen to the song, the more I fall in love with it, and the more I want others to have this experience. If you want to live on mission, the key is to fall in love with Jesus. And that can only happen through beholding the Lamb, through spending time with Jesus, through reading the Bible, through, to get to know the character of Jesus, through praying so you can get to know the heart of God. Spending time in God's presence will drive you to spend time with other people and bring them with you into God's presence. Behold the Lamb. Let your love for Jesus drive you to love other people. This does not mean that if you read your Bible, you'll wake up the next day an extrovert and like have finger guns and be super outgoing. No. What it does mean, though, is if you behold the lamb, your heart's going to change. You're going to be more motivated, and you'll be willing to work past your own weaknesses, which does require you to work past your own weaknesses. There's going to come a time when you actually have to, like, start a conversation with someone. And that doesn't mean <laughs> this is not missions. Sitting in class all semester. This is what I did, so I'm not judging you. And then the last week, I got invited to Chi Alpha, so I'm walking. I'm like, hey, come to Chi Alpha, bye, and then running away. Because <laughs> I got deuces, I don't have to ever see him again. But then, crap, I'm sitting next to them again next semester, and then you're stuck. That would be cool. But anyways, that's not living missions. Living mission is creating friendships with people. And this takes obedience. And obedience requires action. You will have to do your part. So yes, behold the lamb, and then listen to the lamb. Go outside of your comfort zone. See what Jesus sees in the people around you. There are people without hope who need a Savior. And let that drive you to be uncomfortable for a moment so that they do not have to be uncomfortable for eternity. A main reason we struggle to live missionally is because we think life's about us. It's about our comfort zone. Doing what we want. Doing what's best for us. But Jesus is clear that the invitation to follow Jesus is not the invitation to comfort. It's not the invitation to be the center of our own universes. As we behold the lamb and look at Jesus, we will recognize that we are nothing compared to him. Beholding the lamb will lead us to recognize our own smallness. And again, beholding the lamb is just being with Jesus. And we will recognize that life's not about us. Life's not about our comfort zone. It's about the mission of God. We cannot sacrifice people's eternities. We cannot sacrifice the vision that God has for people at the altars of our own comfort zones. God has a mission for your life and he has a mission for your friends' lives and he's asking you to play a small part in seeing that mission come true. The creator of the universe is asking us to join him in this glorious mission. That's a powerful vision, right? God wants me on his team. God wants you on his team. See, imagine if LeBron James walked into the Cedar Falls Rec Center and he said, Derek, you're on my pickup team. You better believe I would try so hard. I would not take any stupid shots. I would not throw the ball away ever. I would try harder than ever before. I would definitely close my rings and my watch because I worked out so hard. When we recognize 
Who is asking us to be on their team? We will do whatever it takes to help them accomplish their mission and win. If this looks like bringing our friends to Jesus, sign me up. The lamb wants me on his team. I'll do whatever it takes. If the lamb wants my help, I'll do whatever I can. Once we behold the lamb, mission will move from obligation to inspiration. So what does it truly mean to live missions? Does it mean that I'm asking all of you to go up to the union tonight, get on a table, and yell out, Jesus loves you. He's worthy of it all. And like just start singing and just staring. No. That's not quite what Philip did. It says this in John 1 again. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Philip found Nathanael. He just went and found one person. He went to the person he already knew, and he told him about Jesus. Jesus is asking you to go to the people that are in your life and to talk to them about him. You probably won't bring the whole world to Jesus, but you can bring one. Just look at Andrew. I like to think that Andrew was an introvert. He was the quiet brother, while he had a loud, obnoxious brother. Andrew didn't feel this call to preach to thousands of people. He wasn't called to be the rock of the church. No, he was called to go find Peter who would become the rock of the church. Peter was a gifted speaker, anointed by God to start the first church. That was not Andrew's job. Andrew's job was to find one. And that one would go on to preach for thousands. So maybe you are like Andrew. Maybe you are quiet. Maybe you're shy, you're introverted, and you would never get up here and preach a sermon. That's okay. God still wants to use you. You do not get to sit on the bench of the kingdom of God because of your personality. Maybe God is not asking you to get up and preach to thousands, but he is asking you to tell your classmates about Jesus. He is asking you to invite your roommate to small group. He is asking you to be friends with people who do not follow Jesus. If all of our friends are inside this room, we will have a very hard time changing the world for Jesus. We have to build relationships with people who do not know Jesus if we want to like bring them to Jesus. It starts with getting to know them, right? So the first step is to have a conversation with someone in your class that you do not know. And don't let it stay at small talk. Get to Jesus. So are you required to know the whole Bible, to be able to explain everything to them, answer all their questions? No. To live missionally, you just need to know three words. Come and see. It's not your job to change people's minds. It is not your job to argue people into Christianity. It is not your job to fight for God on social media. It is our job to do what Philip did to Nathaniel. He told him, come and see. Come and see Jesus. See for yourself who this Jesus guy is. We are to bring Jesus to people. This looks like inviting people here to Tuesday night so they can encounter the presence of God. This looks not like telling people about all your theology or your religious ideals or political opinions, but instead teach people the person of Jesus. Tell people about the character of Jesus and how Jesus loves them deeply no matter what they've done. And to go past this and not just tell people about Jesus, listen to this, but to be Jesus to people. Jesus loved people as they spat in his face. So what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to love people no matter how they treat you. I'm asking you to love and be kind to people. Just because someone cuts you off in traffic does not mean you get to stop being Jesus and flip them off, right? And then say, come to Chi Alpha as they're driving by. No, our 
external circumstances don't get to change what's going on inside of here. We have a call and an obligation to be Jesus to people around us, which looks like being so meek and so calm and loving, but also being firm for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to be kind, to be caring, to be selfless. We do not need to argue for the political party of Jesus. No, let's focus on the heart of Jesus, which is to love every person on this campus. And you get to play a part and love those people. So here's my encouragement for you, Kai Alpha. I challenge you to talk to one person that doesn't follow Jesus this week about Jesus. Find one person who you don't know if they love Jesus, talk to them about Jesus, and invite them to our service next week because they're going to get to hear the best speaker they've heard because it's not me. Invite them to come and see Jesus. Invite them to see God. See, do not argue with people about Christianity about being, it's the only way, and I'll argue in class because that's fun. No, invite them to come and see Jesus. They don't need to come and see you. They need to come and see King Jesus. One cool thing is if we all did this, if we all brought one person with us to Chi Alpha next week, it would double, which would be kind of fun. If we did this three weeks in a row, we would have a 1,000 students in Chi Alpha. That would be kind of cool, but that's not our motivation. Our motivation is not just to fill every seat in this room, which that is the heart for our Chi Alpha. We do want to see that happen, but that's not our motivation. Our motivation is to see people's lives changed. We want to help people find love and hope in the Lamb of God. See, we have this deep desire inside of us to change people, right? We want people to agree with us on the best restaurants, the best political leaders, the best sports team. Why not channel that energy into getting people to meet their creator? Because getting someone to agree that raising canes is awesome, that's fun, but that doesn't accomplish anything for their life. Getting people to behold the Lamb of God changes everything. Why do we call Jesus the Lamb of God? It actually goes back to the Old Testament, so the, the Bible before Jesus. The entire Old Testament talks about this coming Messiah who's going to set the world right, who's going to usher in this new covenant, this person who's going to give us a new way to relate with God. And in the Old Testament, there's a book called Isaiah, which is the prophecies of a guy named Isaiah, and he's prophesying about this coming Messiah and how he's going to suffer for the people of God and ultimately how this coming Messiah will die. It says this in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted and he opened not his mouth. Listen to this. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth. See, Jesus Christ is the lamb led to the slaughter. A lamb is an image of purity and humility. It is an image of goodness. However, the lamb, the one without sin, the one who is perfect, came and died for those of us who are full of sin. See, in Old Testament times, when people sinned, they had to get forgiven of these sins. And the way they did this is they would sacrifice a lamb without blemish to pay for their sins. The cost of sin was death and blood. And Jesus was this once and for all lamb without blemish. Jesus paid for all of our sins. The blood of the lamb overcame our sin and overcame death when Jesus died on a cross, when Jesus became our ultimate sacrifice. See, through the sacrifice of Jesus, death was defeated, and we were given access to life with God, even though we do not deserve it. Revelation 12, 11 says this, and they have conquered him. This is as in the enemy, the devil. They have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. And by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives, even unto death. See, the blood of the lamb 
paid our penalty. And we like that, right? We want to be forgiven of sins, which is good. That is the first step. So if Jesus is not your Lord, I highly encourage you to accept the free payment that Jesus paid for your sins. We like that part. But see, here's the thing. If Jesus paid for your sins, he theoretically paid for your roommate's sins and your classmate's sins and the people that annoy you sins, the person who you want to argue with, the person who ticks you off in every class because they answer every question or because they don't say anything depending on your personality type, the people who make us mad. See, Jesus died for their sins too. It wasn't like a pick and choose thing where he only died for the people who you enjoy. So, you know, Jesus died for the sins of everyone, no matter what they're struggling with, no matter if their sin seems worse than yours, Jesus still loves them and has a plan for their life. And if Jesus died for their sins, like he did ours, he needs someone who will come and love him. He needs someone to tell them about Jesus paying this penalty. But see, the only way to accept this payment is for us to admit Jesus is Lord, to say, I know you, God, and I thank you for paying for my sins and accepting that. But the only way for them to know Jesus is Lord is for someone to bring them to Jesus. They need to come and see him. They need to behold the lamb as he pays for their sins. And that's where we come in. It is our job to bring hopeless people around us to their hope and bring them to Jesus. The main idea tonight is if we want to live missions, we must behold the Lamb and invite others to come and see. March 30th, 1997. It was an Easter Sunday. I was just four months old. And my family was at my aunt's house celebrating the holiday. On the way home from this party, it was just my mother and I in her car. And on the way home, we got into an accident where the car flipped multiple times. The reason for this was because my mom had been drinking that day. And because she was drinking, she fell asleep at the wheel. My mother is flung from the front seat of the car, breaking her neck. And I, on the other hand, the four-month-old baby in the back of the car, by the providence of God, was left without a scratch. And the way this happened, see, in the back of this car, there's a bunch of, like, crockpots and cases of pop, things that if they were flinging and hit a four-month-old, I don't know if you've seen them, they're pretty small, it would probably kill them. And my car seat was facing frontward, which is bad parenting, but that's okay, I love my parents. And so it could easily hit me. But by the grace of God, the seat belt broke, my car seat flipped over, and these things just dented the heck out of my car seat, but I was okay. Behold the work of the Lamb of God. But anyways, that's not the point of this story. My mom goes on to have surgery, and they put her in a halo where it's like a brace for her neck where she's not very mobile. And see, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and because of this and like her situation, she couldn't take care of her kids anymore. And so in order for the hospital to release my mom, we had to find people to come and watch me and my siblings. I'm the youngest of five. There's a lot of us. And someone had to come and watch us every day while she was recovering or they had to sign up for daycare. She didn't want to do that. See, every day then got accounted for. Someone volunteered to do it except Wednesdays. And luckily for us, this random receptionist at the doctor's office 
Side note, my mom had fought with this lady multiple times because the Quimby family is notoriously late to everything, which is why I try not to be late to anything. But my mom was late, and so the lady would, like, complain to her, then they'd fight. My mom's a little feisty, so they'd fight. But anyways, this receptionist, my mom did not like it all. She offered and said, I'll come watch your kids for free every Wednesday. We later learn that this lady's a pastor's wife. And she begins to tell my mom about Jesus. She begins to see my mom, who to be honest, was probably feeling a lot of shame because she just almost killed her four-month-old baby because of drinking. And then the repercussions were she couldn't take care of her kids. So a mother full of shame is met with a random lady who loves Jesus enough to tell my mom about Jesus. And to say, no matter what you've done, you haven't ran too far away from God. And that there's a God who loves you very, very much. And she not only told her about the love of God, but she showed her the love of God by sacrificing her day off for my family. So eventually my mom gives her life to Jesus. Shortly after that, my dad gives his life to Jesus. And eventually my whole family comes to know Jesus. And see, out of this family, we are very, very far from perfect, but two pastors have come from this family. Chi Alpha was started from this family. Our church sent church was started from this family. So really, Chi Alpha would not be here if it wasn't for this doctor's office's receptionist. Sent church would not be here if it wasn't for this random lady. Many of you might not have a relationship with Jesus if it wasn't for this lady. Many of you might not know your spouse or know your best friends if it wasn't for this random lady. If God has done anything in your life because of Chi Alpha, it's not because of Derek, it's because of her name is Dona. See, this random lady who is willing to get uncomfortable because she beheld the Lamb of God. Because she loved Jesus enough to give up her only day off because her second day off was Sundays. And as I said, she was a pastor's wife. So her and her, her husband led this small church together. So they were working on Sundays. So her only day of rest her only day of recovery, her only day of me time where she could watch TV or catch up because she was so busy so she'd catch up on all the things she wanted to do and have rest and self-time. Her only day to scroll Instagram, she gave up to take care of a four-month-old baby and to help a family come and see Jesus. I think sometimes we sacrifice other people's futures at the altar of me time. This random lady recognized that the world was not about her. What about King Jesus? And because of this lady, my life is completely different. And this convicts me deeply. How, do I, how often do I choose my own comfort over other people's eternities? I am so scared of having conversations with strangers, but that conversation could change their destiny. So I come before you, Kyle, for not in a place of pride saying, hey, do what I do, but I come before you as a place of repentance. Repented of my own selfishness, of choosing my own comfort over choosing to live missions, of being someone who's often sacrificed other people's future for my own desires. But I want to be a person who does live mission. I want to be someone who beholds the Lamb and asks other people to come and see Jesus, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me. And maybe you're here tonight and you can relate. Maybe if you're honest, you've chosen your own comfort over other people. Maybe you have not been living on mission because you haven't been beholding the Lamb of God. Maybe you haven't been spending time with Jesus on your own. Tonight is your night not to wallow in guilt, 
That is, we do not serve a God of condemnation. Romans 8, 1 is very clear that there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So if you're sitting here feeling guilty for not being more missional, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is to see your life changed and to make tomorrow a new day. Tonight is our night not to wallow, but tonight is the night to make a commitment that tomorrow is a new day. Or maybe you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. I want you to know that Jesus loves you very, very much. And that Jesus sees a plan and a destiny for you. That your life does not need to be defined by getting a nice job, getting married, having a few kids, and having a nice house. Because you know what? That's fun for you, but that's not going to change the world. See, Jesus has a world-changing destiny for your life. And it starts with you recognizing that you probably don't measure up on your own, but with the grace of God, you can do anything. See, God loves you no matter what you've done. You've not ran too far away from God. That goes for the people who grew up in the church, people who did not grow up in the church. No matter how much you know Jesus, you have not ran too far away from God. He is saying, please come behold me. I promise you it's going to be worth it. Jesus loves you so much. But he does want you to change because he knows what's best for you. So he's asking you to come and see him and to come and follow him and watch him change your life in the best way possible. We have a calling, Kai Alpha. We have a calling to behold the Lamb of God and to invite others to come and see Jesus. We are called to continually look to Jesus through prayer, through the Bible, through these spiritual practices, and then invite our friends to come and see Jesus. And if we do this, oh, if we do this, we will change the world. We will see this campus turned upside down by the good news of Jesus. See, because we live on a campus that needs hope. I don't know if you've walked around recently. People around you are desperate for someone to come and interject their lives with meaning, and that person is you. Our campus needs to see the Lamb of God so they can be washed clean of their sin and be given a new destiny. Our campus needs revival. It needs a revival where hundreds and hundreds and thousands of students bow to King Jesus. Jesus wants to reign at you and I. All he is waiting for is a group of students willing to count the cost and to live for something bigger than themselves. I know it's so hard. I'm constantly thinking about myself, but Jesus knocking at your door and saying, will you please trust me that a life not about you is way, way better and more impactful to take ourselves out of the center of our universes and let Jesus go where he belongs. I fully believe that this is the group of students that God wants to use to change the world. I believe that we can change the world from Cedar Falls, Iowa. So what are we waiting for? Please stand. So if you're here tonight, and if you're honest, you haven't taken that first step to declare Jesus Lord and to behold the Lamb for the first time, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. The way we do that around Chi Alpha is I'm going to ask you guys to close your eyes so no one's looking around. And if that's you and you want to say, Jesus, you can be king from now on. Doing things on my own is not okay and I want forgiveness. I'm going to ask you in the count of three to raise your hand as just a symbol and an outward sign to God that you want to be all in with Jesus. So if that's you, on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we love you. We thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for grace and for forgiveness, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. The second way we're going to respond is a little bit unique. So you're here tonight, and you want to commit to living a life of mission, to living a life bigger than yourself, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat. I'm going to ask you to come up here, to stand, not because there's anything special about being up here, but because sometimes we have things that happen inside of us where we get really excited, but then we don't do anything outward to, like, motivate that change. 
So I'm going to ask you, when I get done praying, to step out of your seat, come to the altar. You can kneel, you can stand, it's up to you. And to, as we sing this song, to cry out to God and say, whatever you want, I'm all in. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for all you've been doing. God, you are going to change the world from Cedar Falls, Iowa. Why not us? Why not us, God? We love you so much. Amen. Amen. If you want to commit to living missions, come to the altar.